United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. Really proud of today's show. It is a show that is on time and it is relevant and all of our guests are worth listening to. We kick the show off with Haley Carter. She's the chair of the Women's Coaches Advocacy Group for United Soccer Coaches, but much larger than that. She is a former assistant coach for the Afghanistan Women's National Team, and she is also a human rights lawyer. And she, along with some other brilliant people, mostly all women, helped the Afghanistan women's soccer team members get out of Afghanistan safely, real time, like right now. And Haley Carter kicks off the show going really behind the scenes on all they did. It truly is amazing. Speaking of amazing, the United Soccer Coaches Foundation continues to do great things for so many people with all of their scholarships and endowments. It really is special. Jeff Vanell is the chair of the United Soccer Coaches Foundation. He joins me with Corey Childs, a coach in the Annapolis, Maryland area who applied for a scholarship and got it to help not him, but help 40 or so coaches, 500 some players really like how deep these scholarships go. Jeff Finnell and Corey Childs. Then Dr. Jay Martin, the winningest coach in men's college soccer at any level, begins yet another season at Ohio Wesleyan where he started in 1977. He's also the longtime editor of the Soccer Journal. It never gets old talking to the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Famer, Dr. Jay Martin, who also has a field named after him at Ohio Wesleyan. Dr. Jay Martin, and then tonight on ACC Network Extra, I'll have North Carolina against the Northwestern Wildcats, and because of that, we'll be joined by the 10-year coach of Northwestern women's soccer team, Michael Moynihan, who spent 19 years at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Michael Moynihan from Northwestern to wrap up the show. A great show, and it comes right at you after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Kicking off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast by being on time. And what I mean by being on time is talking about what is relevant and certainly what's going on in Afghanistan is relevant. And Haley Carter, who is the chair of the United Soccer Coaches Women's Coaches Advocacy Group, is a former coach with the Afghanistan Women's National Team. She is currently Lisa Cole's assistant coach, handling the goalkeepers with Antigua and Barbuda. And Haley Carter, who is a dear friend of the association, and whether she likes it or not, I'm going to say a dear friend to me because I admire her so much, will kick off the show. Haley Carter, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Thank you, Dean. As always, thanks, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the platform. Well, today, one day before this airs, the headline reads that the U.S. is no longer at war in Afghanistan. 
you know better than anybody what is going on over there. You stepped up to make sure that the young women that were part of the national team were safe. Tell us where you think we are right now and everything you can share with us on how you help these young women and, and everything that you're tied to in Afghanistan. Again, thanks thanks for having me on for the platform. I think it's important as we move forward over the next couple of weeks and months that we continue to keep our eyes on what's happening in Afghanistan because we were very fortunate to be able to get our senior women's national team players out. And, and I'll talk about that effort here in a minute, but there's still this call to action that a couple of things. One, we need to show some compassion. I think as Americans, you know, America was built on immigrants and Nobody wants to leave everything that they know, their families, their jobs, their identities, essentially, especially for these women's footballers, to move to a country where they know no one, they, they know, barely know the language, and start from nothing. Nobody wants to do that. So I'd ask that as we move forward, that as, a, as collectively, this is not a political issue, this is a human issue, and that we show compassion for others, right? The, the things that these, these individuals and people have endured, the trauma that they've endured and the desperation that they've shown to get to safety is just unspeakable. So, so let's show some compassion. So that's my, my first thing. And then the second thing too, is that the Taliban launched a pretty, pretty decent public relations campaign, maybe two weeks ago, talking about women having a place and in society. And I think it's important that we all understand that the Taliban of today is no different. If it is different, it's worse than the Taliban of the 1996 to 2001 era. I think that Afghanistan is going to be in a far darker, far worse place than it was even before 2001. And so we need to keep our eyes on it. I think this is going to continue to be a humanitarian crisis of epic proportion. And it's important that we recognize that there are still women and, and minorities, political activists, journalists, photographers, other athletes, artists that are, their very existence is an act of defiance to the Taliban. And, and they're very much still at risk. And so we need to continue to keep our eyes on, on what's happening there. So talk about the effort to ensure the safety of the senior members of the national team for Afghanistan. So naturally, you know, we had to prioritize who we could get out, how we got them out, when we could get them out, just based on the level of visibility that our senior team players have and within society. And the reality is that aside from playing football, which again, in and of itself is an act of defiance against the Taliban and everything the Taliban stands for, these women were true agents of change in society. The work that they did around the sexual assault, sexual abuse, sexual harassment allegations, they fundamentally altered the criminal justice system in Afghanistan for the better. They inspired an entire generation of young women who had been abused or had been harassed or had been assaulted in the past to speak up and to speak out. These women were not just footballers. They were truly activists on multiple levels. And so the level of risk, their risk profile was significant. You know, they were in the media, they were constantly doing interviews, they were all over social media. So it wasn't difficult to figure out who these individual women were. So of course, we had to prioritize them, officials, other, you know, other referees, people who have supported them. And so we started working on that effort probably two and a half weeks ago, pretty early on. Kat Craig, who's a, a brilliant human rights lawyer that works with FIFPRO, the, you know, the World Players Union, and Kelly Lindsay, our former head coach, and Kalita Popal, our former program director, started having initial meetings around what happens. You know, the Taliban was starting to roll through major cities in Afghanistan, and it was two Sundays ago now that they were, the see, the 15th of August, I believe, that they were rolling into Kabul. And 
nobody anticipated them being able to take over Kabul as quickly as they did. Nobody saw that coming. But we were already thinking about what are we going to do? Kalita was already getting texts from players who were scared. They were having to go into hiding. They had to go to other people's homes and safe houses to make sure that they couldn't be found. The Taliban were outside in the street. And not only that, something that's important that I think people understand too is that there are factions within their neighborhoods that didn't like the fact that they were playing. So there's always been a threat to these women. It's not just like the introduction of mass quantity of Taliban foot soldiers, it makes a difference. Like if anything, it just empowers those factions within their neighborhoods to sort of be absorbed into that. They were always under a threat. The Taliban just really heightened that. Right away, we were thinking about, you know, what are we going to do? We're going to have to get these women to safety. What does that look like? Kat and Thief Pro worked together with Craig Foster, who's a former Socceroo out of Australia, and Moya Dodd and a couple of other individuals, Nikki Dryden, who's an Olympic swimmer out of Canada, who now lives in Australia, Alison Batteson. Like, we had a phenomenal group of human rights and immigration lawyers who understand that it's more than just getting a name on an evacuation list. You have to have the paperwork. You have to have the visa applications. You have to have the documentation. And so immediately they rolled in on Sunday. By Wednesday, we were already working on obtaining everybody's Tascaras, their national ID cards, their passports, the members of their family, their information, their phone numbers, creating lists, and starting those visa applications, casting a very wide net. So the U.S., Canada, Germany, Australia. And we were really fortunate that Australia picked up the call and they jumped on it and really worked hard with us diligently. You know, there were several visas that we were having to do in real time. And we had ministers within the Australian government who were working with us to make sure that those got approved and they were expedited. So my immense thanks to the Australian government. It is amazing what they were able to step up and do. Once we started getting visas worked out and and we had documentation for them, we started moving to the airport the following Saturday. They didn't fly out until Tuesday morning, right around 2.33 a.m. my time, and I'm in Houston, so central time. So, you know, for two nights, we had to help them navigate camping outside the airport, trying to figure out what times were the best times to approach the gates, who would be manning the gates at certain times, develop signals to notify those at the gates who they were, how to navigate Taliban checkpoints. And I was very fortunate because of my military and veteran background to work with a group of my Naval Academy classmates and other Intel consultants to obtain open source intelligence, right? So they had individuals on the ground, whether it was interpreters that they had worked with in the past or other Afghan families that had supported military forces. We were getting real-time information on where Taliban checkpoints were. So I would get grid coordinates. I could send a pin to my athletes through our WhatsApp, right? Like you can set a pin on your iPhone and send it, right? So I could set a pin telling them, hey, this is where a checkpoint is. This is where a checkpoint is. You need to avoid this route. If you're going to go from this gate to this gate, this is how you need to go. So we were really fortunate because I was able to pass on essentially real-time information, but of course they weren't able to avoid everything, right? We had several players who got stuck at Taliban checkpoints. They were beat. They had cattle prods out. They were electrocuting individuals. The women, there was gunfire consistently. Anytime I talked to them on the phone, there was round snapping overhead, which if you're not used to that sound, you don't know what that is. It's terrifying. And then, of course, they had to wade through the sewer water in the canal to get through Abbey Gate, which 48 hours later was where the suicide bomber hit. So we were incredibly, incredibly fortunate. And the real heroes here, the real fighters are those players because the things that they endured and the tenacity and the resilience 
for them to get themselves through. And we split them into like four groups because as, as you can imagine, a group of like 30 women walking together is noticeable, stands out. So we sent them through in smaller groups and told them if the Taliban stops you, you need to tell them that your husband's inside the airport. He's going to be really angry at you if you can't get to him and, and really sell that, <laughs> sell that idea. And they did. They were incredible. They got through it. Many of them, like I said, were injured and were hurting. And there were times when I got voice memos saying, it's hopeless. We're never going to get through. We can't do it. And, and Kelly and Kalita and I would just have to send them notes back being like, yes, you can. You can do it. You're going to have to fight. Like, fight. This is it. Like, this is your chance. And we'll do everything that we can to get you. Once you get to the gate, we will get you. But you've got to fight to get to the front of the crowd. You've got to fight to get to the gate. And every inch of that, they really, truly earned. It's amazing that they were able to accomplish it for sure. We just gave them the way, but they made it happen. Wow, I got to tell you, I feel like whether you watch CNN or ABC or Fox or whatever, that was a better job reporting of what really went down and everything behind it than anything I've ever heard. And I'm not saying that in a sycophantic way. Like that was just incredible, Haley Carter. And before I ask my next question, which will be somewhat political, but I want to get your take. I want to remind everybody your background. So if you could help me with that, because as you mentioned, military, soccer, Afghanistan, tell us a little bit more about yourself so everybody understands why you had such a big involvement and unbelievable breakdown of what took place to get those senior members of the national team of Afghanistan out of there. Some people may know, many, many may not. Football and coaching and playing was like my second life. I truly lived in my 20s. So yeah, so I graduated from the Naval Academy in 2006 and spent a little over eight years in the Marine Corps as a logistics officer. So personnel movement and figuring out the logistics from getting from point A to point B, it was kind of my forte. So I was really fortunate also, obviously, to have the network of folks that I had to, to work and rely on to, to grab and tell and make sure that I was communicating it to my team on the ground. But if you look at our team... There were six of us, six women, three human rights lawyers, Kelly, Kalita, and myself, and everybody had a role to play. And I think there's these large organizations and NGOs and governments that have tried doing things that have failed at some of their attempts. And it's like, it was almost like less is better. And each of us had, was responsible for one thing. And my job was to figure out what was happening on the ground and give the team feedback on how to proceed and what the signal should be and that sort of stuff. So other Marines would be very proud. Our first group of women to get into the gate was holding a sign that said John Bazalone, November 10th, 1775. If you don't know what that is, you should go look those two things up. But John Bazalone still saving lives. That's incredible. So with that, when it comes to life or death or comes to equality, when you think about how women are treated over there, I feel like I can ask the next question and it doesn't have to be political. It just can be an opinion from somebody's opinion that counts and your opinion in my in my opinion, counts. Uh, let me say that again. Your opinion, in Thanks. my opinion, <laughs> counts. Yeah. My opinion does not count. Your opinion does. Could this have been handled better? Could it have been handled better years ago? Could it have been handled better last week? Could it have been handled better today? What's your take? You know, I refuse to believe that it couldn't have been handled better, to be honest. Look, this war was never going to end well, right? There's no happy ending to 20 years in Afghanistan, certainly. And I don't think it's on this administration either. I struggle with the timing because it's right in the middle of a very well-documented fighting season. I struggle with a lot of things, but I also recognize that there was no easy way out of this. 
there just wasn't. And so, you know, for me as a veteran, I'm, I'm still struggling with and processing my feelings on, on that. You know, I, I lost friends to this war and to have it be over so abruptly is, is something I'm still processing, if I'm being completely honest. But I don't even have the luxury really to look at it from a political standpoint or to Monday morning quarterback it. I do think things could have been different, but I don't know how. Right. I don't know how I, I don't think that it was a success, but I also don't think it was a complete failure. I think that there were some positives that came out of what happened. The amount of veterans that have come together to try and support Afghan families and individuals that they worked with. That story needs to be told one day. It was a Herculean effort. You see the hashtag digital Dunkirk and, and that's very real. And that, I mean, it's, that's unheard of. You know, if you look at the amount of people who hopped on their smartphones, hopped on their laptops and started working things from seven, eight, nine, you know, time zones away. That's remarkable. Now the focus is on is on the future. And, and what does that look like? What does that look like for our Afghan brothers and sisters? And, and so, you know, we've got it, we've got to focus on the future and, and what that means for them. And, you know, what that means for our players who are now in Australia and, and what their resettlement looks like. We've got to really focus on the future. I don't think it's going to help us at all to focus on the past. It's very clear that you did all of this because of your ties to the military, your ties to Afghanistan, your consideration for equality and women, and perhaps totally unrelated to United soccer coaches, but what is your message to the women's soccer coaches advocacy group and the members of United soccer coaches on all that you've done and and helped with over in Afghanistan? Well, the first thing I'd say is, you know, I did this because these are my players. Like these are my, these are my players that I, I have been with. We've been through some really tough things since 2016. Like I, I have long relationships with them and with their families. Like I, we push for this, Kelly and Cleta and I push for this because these are our athletes. And I would expect that any coach, any coach that's involved in United Soccer Coaches would feel the same way and do the same thing for their athletes. Like it is our job to keep our athletes safe. If we can't keep our athletes safe, we have no business being coaches. And and I recognize that this is obviously an extreme example, but I think everyone can relate to what I'm getting at here. Like for me, like these are human beings. These are my players and my people. And and I'm going to do everything that I can to keep them safe or I'm going to die trying, right? That's an important thing to point out that like without them, there is no game, right? So if we can't keep them safe, there is no game. And then again, just, you know, let's continue to keep, to keep our eye on Afghanistan. And if you ever have the opportunity to meet an Afghan refugee who got out of Kabul in the last two weeks, like recognize that you can't possibly comprehend what those individuals have been through and the trauma that they've endured and, and recognize that. And again, show, show some compassion. Again, that's what makes America great. We're a diverse community. We're built on immigrants and, and we need to be welcoming and, and show as much compassion as possible. Thanks for all the compassion that you showed and all your assistance as well. I feel like since you're on, my final question will be a little bit lighter, but still just as important. And that is in your role as the chair of the Women's Coaches Advocacy Group, we continue to try to make progress and get more women elevated in the game. I feel like that's happening, Haley, maybe not fast enough, but are we making progress? Yeah, I think always, uh, you know, always, we're always moving forward. I think it's good to see, you know, we've just announced that Scott Parkinson and Bev um, Yanez are going to be taking positions 
at Gotham FC, that's huge. It's exciting to see a former player getting into a coaching position. I'm excited. I think the revenue that's being generated right now by women's sports, not just um, football, but just sports in general is significant. And yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what the future holds. I think it's fun to see now that I'm on the outside a little bit, what's going to be happening with the the players uh, association with NWSL getting ready to start their CBA piece. And I think we're just starting to see the women's game mature quite a bit. And I'm optimistic that we'll continue to move forward. I'm excited to see more pathways opening up for women coaches, but it's a constant battle, right? You never take your foot off the pedal. Haley Carter, the chair of the Women's Coaches Advocacy Group and former assistant coach for the Afghanistan Women's National Team, right in the middle of everything that's going down and kicking off our show. Haley Carter, you are amazing. You are inspirational. You are a role model. Thank you so much for all you do and all you did for those women in Afghanistan and keep it going, Haley. I think I speak for United Soccer Coaches when I just say God bless you for all you've done. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks again, Dean. I I appreciate you. Thanks. That's Haley Carter, real time dealing with real world issues over in Afghanistan and kicking off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast. What a visit with Haley Carter. We come back, we learn more about what United Soccer Coaches Foundation is doing. Scholarship applications are open. And Jeff Vanell, an honor award winner, former past president, and the chair of the United Soccer Coaches Foundation, is joined by Corey Childs, who received one of the scholarships to help so many coaches in the Annapolis, Maryland area, and so many players as well. The domino effect of what the United Soccer Coaches Foundation can do is amazing. Jeff Vanell and Corey Childs when we return. Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap, part two of a three-part series focused on the United Soccer Coaches Foundation and the fact that they opened up their scholarship applications back on August 6th. That's when we kicked off this three-part series with Jay Engown, the Scholarship Foundation Committee Chair for United Soccer Coaches Foundation. Now we're going to take a step up, as Jay would even say, to Jeff Vanell, who is actually the chair of the Foundation Committee. In 1993, he was the president of the association. He received the Mike Berticelli Excellence in Coaching Education in 2006. And he was the 2007 recipient of the prestigious United Soccer Coaches Honor Award. Jeff Vanell, welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here. And it's a pleasure to be here on behalf of the foundation. Well, and I'm really excited because one of the things we wanted to do is have somebody on this program as part of a three-part series that actually received a scholarship. And that's exactly what we've done today with Corey Childs. Jeff, I want you to talk a little bit about Corey, and then we'll start digging down with Corey and what this scholarship has meant to him. One of the great things about our association is the people you meet as you go along. Uh, My wife and I and family were very, very fortunate. We're very humbled to have an award named our honor from the players at Williams College in Massachusetts and Kenyon College in Ohio. And each year at the awards committee under Jay, we try to match both the award 
with the type of institution and in, in geographic area that makes sense. Our daughter lives right outside Annapolis. And so when we had the awards, we thought, well, that's a good one. Why don't we match our fund with uh, that fund in Annapolis? Then I got to meet Corey Childs when I went down because I'm a, also a, a national staff member. So I had the pleasure and the honor of doing the clinic. Uh, and my daughter who lives close, who's coaching and coaching her daughter, was there as well. So I met Corey uh, and we kept in touch as we often do in those situations. And you know, I communicate back and forth with some things I find. And it's uh, been a great to establish a friendship and now it's being reestablished uh, through our third generation. So pleasure to have Corey with us. And people like Corey are important to this process because they have the people to whom these awards need to get to. One of the reasons we're on the podcast is to urge all of our members to find the type of program and individuals who can benefit from our educational opportunities. So welcome, That's Corey. Yeah, Corey, welcome indeed. So yeah, Corey, so talk about um, your ties to the scholarship committee and did you receive an actual scholarship or were you leading it on behalf of where you are right now? Sure, thank you. And thanks for having me this morning. Um, Jeff, appreciate the warm introduction and Dean, very excited to be here today. So in regards to the history behind the scholarship and the receipt of the scholarship, in 2017, through the United Soccer Coaches and the Williams Kenyon Bunnell Fund, a local organization in Annapolis uh, applied and received a host of course grant and scholarship, which we were able to provide quality coaching education to 40 plus predominantly volunteer coaches right before the start of the fall 2017 soccer season which by my estimates average around 15 players per team, more than likely positively influenced around 600 players just that fall. And here we are, you know, four years later, reconnecting. And um, I'm a firm believer that those teaching points, coaching moments that Dr. Vernell was able to share with uh, our coaches that day, our parent volunteers has impacted them for a lifetime. Wow. So that is incredible. So that's what you mean exactly, Dr. Vernell, on this relationship with Mr. Childs, I mean, it goes deep because it connects so many people. I mean, he just talked about impacting well over 500 players and coaches. That's awesome. Yes. First of all, the answer is correct. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> yes. As Jay Engelman told you during the first podcast, we have three types of award. Uh, one is the host, of course, which uh, Corey's group was awarded. The other two are individuals. One is to take a course through one of our educational opportunities. And the other is get some support to the convention. You get a free registration along with some a travel stipend. So all three types are available. And we're looking forward to having a banner year of applicants so we can have a, even a harder time deciding who's most worthy. All right. Well, let's get to know Mr. Childs a little bit better. Tell us exactly what you do right now, Corey, if you can. Yeah. So I'm based in Anne Arundel County, Maryland, full-time in the industry, soccer industry, youth sports, high school sports as well. I really made that commitment after attending a what was the National Soccer Coaches Association of America back in 2015 or so. Been to every convention since, been through the name change, and this has led me on an exciting pathway in the coaching journey. My current predominant role is working with uh, A3 Soccer based in Anne Arundel County, and we have uh, extensions of grassroots, recreational, travel, U23, and it's really that club cohesive model. So my role is the Director of Premier Operations, I'm charged with working with coaching development, player development, and curriculum development, have some influence and opportunities to work with the other programs that we have, and really just 
trying to create the culture that helps players grow long-term and helps them grow as an individual and soccer players. So outside of that, I'm connected with the state ODP program and really enjoy those opportunities and the leadership that Maryland State Youth Soccer has dedicated and high school soccer. It's a busy season for us right now. So I'm the varsity boys coach at St. Mary's High School in Annapolis, Maryland as well. So busy fall, as anyone in this industry knows. I thank you for all that you're doing to to give back to the game. And one of the things I like about this interview is as a broadcaster of 25 years and longtime voice of the association, I always respect the history of the association and people that have been pioneers and paved the way. And, you know, Jeff Fennell is certainly one of those people. And I get the sense, you know, sometimes it's lost on the generation below me, Corey, but I don't feel like it's lost on you. I get the sense that you also appreciate that history and were willing to learn more as you applied for this scholarship. And I feel like now, after the fact, it's even more important to you, the history of the association and people like Jeff. Certainly. Ironically, as a player, I think in 2007, I had the opportunity to attend the convention in Baltimore as a field player. So Roots go back to the convention a long way. And I, I think for me, I've recognized how coaching education has given me greater tools and knowledge as to how to connect the game to the players and influence not only as soccer players, but as, as people first and foremost. And so, you know, when we applied for the scholarship, it was with the intent to benefit recreational grassroots players, kids that don't necessarily get all of the opportunities in the world. And we all know that youth sports can go such a long way for character development and just growth and education. And so elated to be able to put that on. And um, I've gone through some of the coaching courses and continue to do so. And, and we'll always talk to the coaches that I'm have an opportunity to help over 30 plus teams, 500 plus players in a given season, the importance of coaching education. And I hope they recognize that little bit of investment will save them a bunch of headaches again with the ultimate goal to help grow the player and the individual incredibly passionate about the grassroots piece jeff i've got to tell you at its core this is a great education piece i think not just for me as the host but everybody listening because I think a lot of people, when they hear that the applications are open, they think about kind of a one-off coach that's struggling, maybe lost his job or or he or she. But clearly, it's much deeper than that based on the way Corey was able to receive the scholarship. Can you dive into that a little bit? Because this is really important for people to understand that this can impact so many. Yes, and it's a reflection of the type of awards we have. Yes, we're interested in the uh, we're interested in coaches uh, who want educational opportunities, who represent or involve with underrepresented populations or areas. And believe it or not, Annapolis, Maryland, which we all think is a you know fairly well uh, to do community, has a part of Annapolis that needs help, and those areas are in all in our cities outside them. And uh, for example, last year one of our host of the courses, which we obviously couldn't do in person with COVID, was to a rural community. 55 miles north of uh, Milwaukee in a small little town, all volunteers, just like Corey's group was, didn't have the wherewithal to, to attend a convention at all, uh, got the awards. So those three types. So we're really looking for people who need help, who want help, and who work with the kind of populations that we're interested in. Often inner city, often small towns. We even have some international awardees each year. We try as best we can to match some of our scholarships with types of uh, applicants. For example, if we have a, um, 
a goalkeeper who is uh, you know in need or wants a course we have um, the Anson Doran scholarship and the Tony Chico scholarship so the best we can we try to match scholarship wishes with the type of applicants we get but Corey also makes two points I think are worth uh, repeating one is that it's our responsibility all of us in, in our game we've all done things we never could have done without it to give back I've tried to instill that in, in all the players I've coached I'm still doing it my family does it and the other is that Corey has captured what is really the most important thing from our education program. That's the culture, the culture of giving back, the culture of kids, culture of the games. I'm involved in a youth program now, and we have probably 400 kids, and we stop before the high school. And you need to realize that at age eight, and as we grill all these numbers, only 10 of them are going to graduate as seniors having played on the team in high school. And only 2% of those are going to go to college and play. So we need to keep in mind what Corey is referring to is that other quote unquote 98%. Those are our fans. Those are our referees. Those are the ones who end up loving the game. And quite honestly, as Corey tell you, become the kind of players who never forget you. And that's why we're in it is and basically for the kids to have fun, enjoy and grow and get a good self-image. Corey, can you respond to that sentiment from Jeff? Yeah, uh, 100% accurate. Just opportunity to play the game, have fun, be a child, be a kid, come together from different backgrounds and work together, grow individually. I mean, that's, I think, why a lot of us are able to be in the positions that we are in and why we refer to Jeff as a doctor, right, for the influence and the impact and, and helping so many others. And it's lifelong. The Annapolis area is very unique. It's incredibly influent in some parts, waterfront homes, you know, millions of dollars and, and so forth. And then there's neighborhoods and pockets that are poverty, underserved, and soccer doesn't require too much, right? Roll a ball out there and play just to get some of the kids to come together from the different backgrounds and, and get out on the field is, it goes a really long way. And for those kids to make those connections and you know, some of them go to the same schools despite living in totally different neighborhoods. And so, the grassroots piece, the, the having fun through the game, the development over time, like every player has some different aspirations and ambitions and how to foster that can relate back to the coaching piece and how coaches can recognize that. So incredibly important to put on these opportunities, would encourage anyone that has an opportunity to work with coaches and influence kids to apply for one of the scholarships that the organization and United Soccer Coaches has certainly will go a long way. Two things worth repeating from you, Corey, in your comments so far. One, I, like you, uh, have reverence for Jeff, so that's why I also call him a doctor. So thanks for supporting that. As he astutely <laughs> said, he's not a doctor, but uh, very much carries himself that way. So obviously, uh, Jeff, having fun with, uh, you know, with, with true reverence. So thanks for that. But secondly, one of the things that I found fascinating that's worth repeating is clearly when you applied for this, you weren't thinking about Corey Childs. You were thinking about what it would mean for people that interface with, with Corey Childs. And as a young man, I think that says a lot about you. Can you just talk a little bit more about that one more time? Sport industry is rewarding in a sense of the, the impact and influence and so forth, not from the, the financial aspect to some degree. And that's not why a lot of us do it. So, you know, when I applied for the course, it was on behalf of the community. It meant that I was volunteering my time essentially to try to organize and, and coordinate and, and work with the 
you know, I had soccer coaches and Jeff and our instructors and secure and procure facilities and so forth. And oddly enough, we had 40 plus coaches and the original venue that we were going to use that was set up back in March before the August course fell through the week before. So here I am scrambling to try to find a venue and a facility to host coaches, 40 of us, indoor and outdoor space. Not easy to do. And we previously were going through the public school system. Fortunately, it just so happened to be St. Mary's High School, which had just renovated an incredibly nice turf field and built an incredibly nice team house and team meeting space was available on a Saturday. Who would have thunk it? So it's my first year at the school as well. And so it was a big ask for me, but the athletic department was great. No cost for us to be there. Had a beautiful space, beautiful weather, great day, kids in attendance. And despite all the hiccups and, and hurdles, I mean, it was important. And I think the coaches that spent their time there got something out of it. And that's a rewarding piece. Jeff Finnell, as we start to wind down our time here with you and Corey, which has been fascinating as we mentioned on August 6th, you opened up the application. It'll end sometime in September. You can confirm that by going to unitedsoccercoaches.org. But what are some other key points, some key tipping points you want people to, to know about uh, the application process? First of all, you access it just as you referred to, Dean. You go to unitedsoccercoaches.org site, and on the top banner, there'll be a button called Coaches Give. Get on that page. And right now on the main page, you can go directly to the applications and you choose which of the three types of awards you want to apply for. And the process is uh, quite simple. There's some explanation. Obviously, we want to know who you are and we want to know why you think your organization or you yourself are worthy of receiving the awards. You know, go through the process, sell yourself and, and tell us what you want. Tell us why you're doing this and uh, be honest and the process will take care of itself. But we'd really like to, um, you know, to get those applications in and get the word out. So one of the things that uh, we're trying to accomplish by you hosting us, Dean, we're so thankful that you're giving us three opportunities, is to get the word out to the people who need to apply. We have over 30 scholarships now, and we're building. We're getting close to announcing a couple more. A couple more are reaching the $50,000 range, which will allow us to give two scholarships for that endowed fund. So we're looking forward to it. And we thank uh, everybody in advance for getting those applications in. And we look forward to be really, really busy in trying to get through them all. Traditional United Soccer Coaches Foundation scholarships are indeed back. The application process started on August 6th. The applications for scholarships for convention education and host, of course, are now open to apply. As you just heard from Jeff and now, please go to unitedsoccercoaches.org, click on the Coaches Give button, and off you go. You visit that page. You've got a direct online application link. Applications will be accepted until midnight Eastern time now on September 24th, really 11.59 p.m. Eastern to be official. If you have any questions, please reach out to Sarah Kluba, who does such a great job as the development officer at S. Kluba, K-L-U-B-A, at unitedsoccercoaches.org. Last word time, we'll start with Corey Childs. And Corey, as you sit and reflect on everything that you've been able to accomplish by receiving this scholarship, as you sit and reflect on everything you heard from Jeff Vanell, who we very politely call Dr. Vanell, what, uh, what's your sentiment toward United Soccer Coaches? How are you feeling about everything that they've been able to give you? It's a great organization, a great association. United Soccer Coaches has influenced me and my decisions to continue on in the coaching ranks and the soccer world to help 
others grow through the game, grow as people. And so it's really great leadership. The opportunity to sit here with you two individuals has been quite an honor. So thank you very much for the opportunity. Jeff, thank you for everything from coming down to the course, the Williams Canyon Vanel Fund for supporting as many coaches as it has over time and all the scholarship opportunities that United Soccer Coaches present. I look forward to seeing Jeff, you when you come down this way, whenever that might be next. And Dean, wish you well during the fall season and to all the coaches that are tuning in and people involved in the industry, wish a uh, great fall season and much success. First class, Corey Childs. Last word for Jeff Finnell. Hit all the key points, please, sir. As far as a National Soccer Coaches staff member and a uh, longtime member of the association, what we're trying to do is simply influence and have a whole lot more Corey Childs out there. He's a good young coach, and it's nice to know that our backs are covered when we need it. The other is just to say what an honor it's been to serve as the chair of the committee, to be able to see the good work. You know, Corey's a good example of just one of the six or 700 scholarships we've given away and how much good it is done. So for those of you out there who want to attend a convention, want to take a course or, or have an organization which might be able to host a course, we urge you to apply. We're thrilled that, Dean, you've been able to have us on again. And we look forward to hearing you if not seeing you soon. Oh, that sounds fantastic. And Corey, thanks so much for sharing your story. It was it was really great as uh, this is the second of a three-part series. Corey Childs, Jeff Finnell, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Thank you. Thank you, Corey, and thank you, Jeff. Coming up next, Dr. Jay Martin, the winningest men's soccer coach of all time, still getting it done at Ohio Westland, and he's still the longtime editor of Soccer Journal. This man has done it all. He's seen it all. His D3 season kicks off this weekend. Dr. Jay Martin on the bounce. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. Hi, this is Dean Linke, host of the United Soccer Coaches podcast with a special message from my mentor and United Soccer Coaches. Mentoring is widely considered to be the best approach to connect theory into practice. Your role as a mentor is critical to helping coaches to develop their knowledge and skills within the soccer coaching environment. The Mentoring Soccer Coaches Special Topics Diploma, created in collaboration with my mentor, will enable you to explore and apply the principles of mentoring with your coaches. And you can register now for this unique education opportunity at home.mymentorportal.com. That's at home.mymentorportal.com. The course and the first virtual workshop begin on the 14th of September. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. So pleased to be joined by a real doctor this time, Dr. Jay Martin. And Dr. Jay, before I officially introduce you, we had a little fun with Jeff Finnell as we called him a doctor, but you're a real doctor. You got anything to say to, to Jeff Finnell? Tell him to go back to school and get his PhD, then they can call him whatever they want. <laughs> that is perfect. Well, how broad is Ohio Westland head coach Jay Martin's record of service to soccer? Come up with any combination of level, high school, college, professional, 
and function, player, coach, administrator, and he's probably done it. Dr. Jane Martin is the winningest coach in NCAA men's soccer history with a total of 723 wins. He is the first men's soccer coach in any NCAA division to reach the 700 win mark heading into this season, which will start tomorrow. He has guided his 43 battling Bishop soccer teams to that record of 723 wins. His career winning percentage of 803 entering last season ranks 11th all time in the NCAA. Now, Dr. Martin is also a professor in Ohio Westland's physical education department and served as the battling Bishop's athletics director from 1985 to 2004. During his 19 years as AD, Ohio Westland intercollegiate athletics enjoyed unprecedented success. Prior to joining the Ohio Westland faculty, Martin served as a two-sport assistant at The Ohio State University, from which he received both his master's and PhD degrees, thus the doctor title. Earlier, he was director of sport at the Munich, Germany YMCA, coaching soccer, volleyball, basketball, and lacrosse, and athletic director at the American International School at Dusseldorf. A native of the state of Massachusetts, Dr. Martin received his BA degree from Springfield College in 1971. He lettered in soccer and lacrosse, earning All-America laurels in the latter. In Germany, he also played soccer, and he played professional basketball and served on the staff of the Volleyball Pavilion at the 72 Olympics. And then also it's important to point out that he's been the editor of then-named National Soccer Coaches Association of America Soccer Journal, now United Soccer Coaches, since January of 2003 and still going strong. Dr. Jay Martin, you open the season tomorrow and I'm thinking you may go 30 more years, but how fired up are you about tomorrow? Uh, it took me a while, Dean, to be very honest. I did have a little bit of a transition problem from the pandemic to getting back in the swing of things, but now I'm ready to go. We've had two scrimmages. We have a very, very young team, but a very, very talented team. Freshmen and sophomores are really, really good. But you know, with young kids, Dean, they play great one day and they don't play great the next day. So it's going to be a challenge, but we're looking forward to it. Well, bringing it all home, just the other day, I did a game with Ryan Martin. They looked really good, by the way. They, they had a big win for Loudoun United. So that's also got to make you proud as well as the dad, right? No question about it. And honestly, Ryan gets mad when I say this, but it's the truth. He's a much better coach than I've ever been. And I mean that. Initially, I tried to talk him out of going into coaching, Dean, but he wouldn't listen to me like, like we didn't listen to our fathers either. But he's just made for the professional game. He loves it. He's enthusiastic and he's really, really good. He sends me all of his training sessions and I try to use some of the stuff here at Ohio Wesleyan. We're here with Dr. Jay Martin. So in addition to opening your season at D3 Ohio Westland on Friday against Hope and then Saturday against Calvin, as I mentioned, you've been the editor of Soccer Journal since 2003. That seems to be kind of a labor of love. Can you explain why you do that, Dr. Martin? Sometimes I wonder, to be honest with you, but the, the fact of the matter is when I took over the editorship from Tim Shum, who was a longtime editor, I wanted to change, and this is not a slam on Tim, he did a wonderful job. I wanted to change the focus of Soccer Journal, and my theme was, and still is, I want our membership to be able to pick up the uh, copy of the magazine that came today and use something in that magazine right now. And secondly, with the internet, Dean, we don't need to put in a whole bunch of training sessions anymore. You can go online and in eight seconds, you have 1.3 million hits on attacking soccer or whatever it is. 
So I wanted to get into more of the software of coaching, as Bill Besser calls it, the software, you know, the mental side of it and the management side of it and the leadership side of it and, the, and those types of things. So our membership can use that stuff right now. Very much so. The Soccer Journal is kind of a beacon for the association. I feel like uh, beyond the convention, everybody says convention, but then if you ask them, you know, for three to five things that they think about when it relates to United Soccer Coaches, formerly NSCAA, the Soccer Journal comes to mind. Well, it is the only thing that every member receives from the main office, because not every member goes to the convention, as you know, not every member takes advantage of the academy programs, but every two months they get a soccer journal in their mailbox. So it is kind of the lifeline between uh, the organization and our our membership. I want to get back to the fire burning here as you start again here after taking over in 1977 at Ohio Westland. I'm not even going to tell you how old I was because I'm even kind of an old guy. Dr. J, I realized you were 12 at the time when you started at Ohio Westland. But I mean, a couple of things that probably keep the fire burning. And I want to talk about them both. And I know you're very humble, but one, the field that you play on at Ohio Westland, and I know you start on the road, but when you come back uh, to take on Muskegon, you'll be playing on the J. Martin soccer field, Dr. J. Martin soccer field. That's awesome. How do you feel about that? And then, of course, a couple of years ago when we were last all together at the convention, you went into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame. I had you on a while ago to talk about that, but remind everybody what both those two things mean, because yeah, both are pretty cool. Yes, thank you. And both embarrass me, um, believe me, especially naming the field. And, and Dean, you know, and our listeners know that uh, you don't get things named after you. You don't go into Hall of Fames unless you have good players. I mean, that's the bottom line. You don't see coaches with a 500 record get into, getting into Hall of Fames. And the reason that we've done so well truly is because we have been able to recruit great young men, great students. I mean, we've had uh, 12 or 13 Phi Beta Kappas on the team. I hate recruiting guys smarter than I am, but that's the way it is today. And so we've had great young men and uh, it's been, I don't want to say it's been easy, but it's been easy to, to coach those guys. And if I could just, my passion for the program and the young men in it is, is all about relationships. And um, that induction that you mentioned a few moments ago in Baltimore in the middle of January, over 85 of my former players showed up to celebrate with me. Unbeknownst to me, I didn't know any of them were coming, to be honest with you. You know, I had guys there from the first team in 77 to the last team at that time, 2019, and all the teams in between. That's what I enjoy. I mean, what we did at Ohio Wesleyan with those guys clearly made an impact, not only in their soccer playing career, but in their life. And, and I really, really enjoyed that. I was absolutely shocked, Dean, when I, when I, there were a few of them, as you recall, there were a few of them at the banquet, and then they rented out a hall, and when I walked in, it was just nuts. I was like, are you kidding me? And it means that, for better or worse, we've done something okay at Ohio Wesleyan over the years. It's interesting, too, because we were just talking about the fact, you know, you open up tomorrow against Hope, and then the very next day you take on Calvin. He reminded me at the D3 level, even with the national championships, you're playing back-to-back days so you know you're winning with these players but not necessarily under easy circumstances there's still a lot of pressure on the body for these young men based on how the d3 schedule works no question but you know the the knowledge about regeneration and and periodization has changed so much over the last 12 or 15 years that we really put an emphasis on regeneration and resting now maybe 
Not so much 15 years ago, Dean, because we really didn't understand it. At least I didn't understand it. And I probably worked these guys to death at, in, in some, at some times. But once the preseason is over, and, at, and of course, that's tomorrow. Once that is over, I mean, we are regenerating and our practices are an hour long instead of two hours. I mean, we never go longer than an hour and a half, even in preseason. But, you know, starting next week, when we get back, it's going to be an hour or 70 minutes max. And our practices are short. They're intense. We go from one station to the next and boom, it's over. And that way we give our guys time to regenerate, recuperate, and take care of themselves in between practices and games. It's difficult. It, it really is difficult. As you get ready to, I'm assume, get on the bus, unless Ohio Westland has a charter plane that I don't know about, uh, and head up to, to Michigan, is there any part of that grind, Dr. Martin, that you don't like so much, or is the grind part of the joy? No, the grind is not part of the joy. I'm, I'm dreading, <laughs> I'm looking forward to the games, but I'm dreading the trip because, you know, on Saturday or Sunday morning, I'll get home about 3 or 3.30 in the morning. And Dean, I go to bed about 10 o'clock. So, I mean, that's going to be really, really difficult. And if there's anything that, that's going to drive me out of this, it's going to be these long trips. My wife and I have been trying to figure out ways to handle this a little bit better. So far, we haven't, uh, we don't have any ideas. If any of our listeners have one, please shoot me an email so I can try to figure this out. But, but no, the, those, those games, those weekends are very, very hard. What about this long run as athletic director? That's obviously a big job. And you're talking about a program that has produced a lot of great teams over the years, not just soccer, but at every level. Talk about that run and what made you want to step away from that run and focus just on coaching and being a professor? Well, that's what I started doing when I got into this profession. And that's what I've wanted to do since I was, believe it or not, in ninth grade. I mean, this is, this is nuts. I know that. But in ninth grade, I knew I wanted to go to Springfield College. I knew that I wanted to coach and teach in a college, and that was my driving force, even though I took time in Germany and so on and so forth. And that time in Germany has been very, very helpful. Don't, don't get me wrong. But in Division Three, the pressures on the athletic director, Dean, are great. And I was, frankly, I was sick of saying to my colleagues and friends, no. You know, you come in, they need this, they need that. And at times we just didn't have the funds available to take care of that. Or maybe, you know, maybe the, their field needed to be fixed and we didn't have the funds to take care of that. That got really old because I wanted to do it. And I, to be honest with you, I was over budget every one of the years I was athletic director. Now the presidents didn't like that very much, but you know, I kept telling them, if you don't like what I'm doing, just find somebody else. But then in the end, I said, no, nope, this is it. No more of this. I'm going to go back to doing what I started doing in this profession, and that is teaching and coaching, which I love, both of them. So pleased to be here with Dr. Jay Martin, who opens up his season at Ohio Westland tomorrow at Hope and then on Saturday against Kelvin. As we mentioned, he then has Muskegon the following weekend at home at Dr. Jay Martin Field for Ohio Westland. Do me a favor. Tell everybody where Ohio Westland is located and what makes it such a special school outside of the soccer program. It's about uh, 20 miles north of Columbus, almost in the geographical center of Ohio. We're about seven miles from the geographical center, which makes, you know, everything in Ohio two hours away. So that's not too bad. Ohio Wesleyan has done really, really well in soccer and lacrosse over the years, Dean, because 
when I first got there, we were a backup school for some of the Nescats and the Harvards and the Yales and so on. So when I got on campus, 85% of the student body was from the Northeast quadrant of the United States, where I'm from, as you said, I'm from Boston. And so a lot of those men and women played soccer, where soccer, when I, when I got to Ohio Wesleyan in 77, Ohio soccer was awful. I mean, it was almost non-existent. And I had one Ohio kid on my first couple of teams. And of course he was the goalkeeper, but we had all these kids from the Northeast quarter. My definition is New England down to about Washington, DC. And so we got a jump on everybody out here in terms of soccer and lacrosse. And we did a lot of winning because, you know, many of the Ohio, the other Ohio schools were recruiting Ohio kids to play and they just weren't as good as the East Coast kids. So we were able to establish a good tradition in those sports. Now, Ohio soccer is really, really good. And about 70% of my group is from Ohio. Ohio kid brings a little bit of uh, toughness to the soccer field that maybe now some of the East Coast kids don't so much. So it's been a, a, a kind of evolution of the program and an evolution of the school over the last, uh, what, four decades now or whatever it is. So I think that, you know, that gave us a, that gave us a good start. Here with Dr. Jay Martin. Just a couple more questions. As we've talked about, you've done so much in soccer. This is my 25th year now as a broadcaster, and you had a run of almost 10 years as a broadcaster with the Columbus crew. What were the highs and lows of, of that role? It was time consuming, but I really, really enjoyed it, especially when the crew first started. They started in Ohio Stadium, and then they built their own facility, as you know, and being that close to the professionals, uh, was was fun. Was really a lot of fun. Greg Andrulis, when Tom Fitzgerald left the team and Greg Andrulis took over, we had like the English system going. He was the manager and I was the coach of the crew for his transition summer. And that was a lot of fun. I was dealing with Brian McBride and Todd Yagley and Brian Mazinoff and all of these really, really good players. And, and that was fun. And, you know, Krzyzewski wrote a book about leading with the heart and all these other things. And in, in that, he talks about his experience with the 1992 Olympic basketball team. And at the time, somebody asked him, you know, can you coach in the pros? And he said, yes, I can coach in the pros, but I don't want to coach in the pros. Coaches are kind of weird people. You know, we always are thinking, can I coach at the next level? Can I'm a division three coach and I've been successful? Can I coach at division one? Can I coach in the pros? Well, I learned that summer and with my association with the crew that yes, I can coach in the pros. My son taught me that I can coach in division one, but he said, dad, you don't wanna be in division one, not with your philosophy and what you do. And that's how I feel about the pros. I was actually Dean twice offered the Columbus crew job, head coaching job once when Greg was finished and with Jim Smith as the general manager who actually Jim Smith, I think he's now with the Atlanta football Falcons. He actually did an internship with me when I was AD when he was getting his master's at Ohio state. And he offered me, offered me the position. But as I said, that summer I learned, hey, I can do this, but I don't want to do it. I'm very content and happy doing what I'm doing. We're learning so much on today's show. We even learned a little bit more about the United Soccer Coaches Foundation and the scholarships they offer. I'm not sure how much you know about that, but I'm assuming as the editor at Soccer Journal and you know L. Albert and Jeff Fennell and Jay Engown and Mike Curry and the work they've done to make sure that coaches that need it, if we need more coaching education, the foundation gets behind it. How proud does that make you when you see what the United Soccer Coaches and the foundation is doing for other coaches? It's great. 
Dean, you know, what we can never lose sight of with the United Soccer Coaches is that our, in my opinion, main mission is to help develop coaching in this country. And the foundation is taking that, in my opinion, to, to the next level. Just last month, Jeff and I worked together to fund a coach at one of our inner city schools here in Columbus who was not a member. We got him to sign up as a member, and now he's receiving funds to go to the academy and soccer journal and all these other things that he didn't have access to 12 months ago. So that's one little example but, you know, all those little examples across the country add up to a lot of examples. And and that's, as I said, to me, that's taking it, our coaching development to the next level. 723 wins. You owe me nothing. But if I said, hey, Dr. J. Martin, I'd like to see you hang around till you get 800. How do you feel about that sentiment? My wife wants me to do that, too. So no offense, Dean, but she uh, carries more <laughs> weight than you do. That's, I don't know, that could be. Not so long, but it could be a little bit lengthy. So we'll just see how it goes. I'm taking it one year at a time. And again, referring to my son, Ryan, he keeps telling me, Dad, don't worry about it. You'll know when you want to retire. And he said, I know you don't want to retire right now. I, I've a actually gone out to help him with Loudon a number of times, which was, a, which was really a lot of fun, you know, being an assistant coach to my, to my son out there. It was great. It was really, really great. Well, let's end with this. When you hear these three words, what does it mean to you, Dr. J. Martin? The three words are United Soccer Coaches. I was very, very lucky years ago to play and coach against Mickey Cochran at Bowling Green State University. He coached both soccer and lacrosse, as I did when, for my first eight or nine years at Ohio Wesleyan. And Mickey and then Bob Nye coached the College of Worcester, and we played them. Of course, they were in our conference. And these guys talked me into joining then the NSCAA. And I, I had no idea, Dean, what the NSCAA was at all. So I joined, and Bob Dowds, who was the coach of Akron at the time, was the regional rep on the board of directors. He resigned from Akron and Bob Nye asked me to take his place on the uh, board of directors as a, as a regional rep, which started my 24 or five or six years on the board of directors, which as you know, ended in my presidency and I don't, I'm not sure when it was, 96 or, or what have you. The NSCAA United Soccer Coaches is part of my fabric and it's part of what I do and what I believe in. It's the reason that I help with Soccer Journal because it means a lot to me. I just can't even explain how much it, it means. My, my life in a lot of ways has revolved around the association, meeting tremendous people, meeting tremendous coaches, meeting tremendous role models. It's just helped me in so many ways. And I know I'm not alone with that sentiment. And I just hope we continue helping coaches in the next, you know, for next four decades. We'll see what happens. I love that answer. I do want to end with sharing a story to see if it get a giggle out of you at all, because I'm always amazed at the ties that bind, even at different levels, because here you're way up here on the level of greatness, and I'm way down here just trying my best. But with the Colorado Rapids, I was the announcer the first three years, and we played at Ohio Stadium. I grew up going to Buckeye games. There's a guy from my hometown that blocked for Archie Griffin. He was an All-American so I was telling our coach, it was an English coach, Bobby Houghton, that it's been a dream of mine to be at Ohio Stadium. And it was also my birthday when they had, they, when the Columbus crew played the Colorado Rapids. So the day before he said, hey, 
Dean, you're going to lead us out on the Ohio Stadium field. And so they got all together where the football team would walk out and Marcelo Balboa and Steve Trichoux and all these great players are in this huddle, right? Roy Weggerly. And they let me give this rah-rah speech, right? Because I grew up going to the Buckeye games and I'm like, all right, let's go. And we're going to go kick some, you know what, with Columbus crew tomorrow. Let's go. And I run out to midfield to the block O, Dr. Martin. I get to the block O and I turn around and every one of the players are still in the tunnel, just sitting there laughing at me right there. Only players would do that, right? You're not going to believe it, Dean, but I remember that. (laughs) Dwight Burgess and I were up in the booth and we were doing our pregame and we're watching the field. No offense. I didn't know who the hell you were at the time. (laughs) But I said to Dwight on the air, I said, Dwight, who the hell is that guy running out in the middle of the field? It was, it was really quite funny. It was really <laughs> quite funny. I do remember that, honestly. That's amazing that you did. You know, they, they actually kind of, at first I was a little bit heartbroken, but later on they did dump some Gatorade on me, which made me feel a little bit better. But you know what? If you can't laugh at yourself, what can you do, Dr. Martin? Exactly right. And I've been laughing at myself and my wife has been laughing at me too for a long time. All right. Thanks for letting me share that story. And thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thanks for your wonderful career. Good luck tomorrow against Hope and Saturday against Calvin. Really appreciate all you do, Dr. Jay Martin. Thank you very much, Dean. Talk to you soon. That was fun. And we wrap up our show with Michael Moynihan, now in his 10th year as the head coach of the Northwestern women's soccer team, who tonight will take on North Carolina at 7 o'clock on ACC Network Extra. Hello, college coaches. This is Dean Linky with a special reminder. Registration is now open for the United Soccer Coaches College Services Program. Registered programs have access to a variety of benefits, including eligibility for awards and rankings, individual membership discounts, a dedicated liaison working on your behalf with organizations like the NCAA, NAIA, NJCAA, and so much more. United Soccer Coaches helps you develop your entire coaching game the way you help your student-athletes grow as people. For more information or to register, please visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash college. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap, a jam-packed show. And later tonight, I'll have the call for the North Carolina women taking on the Northwestern women, which for me is a dream situation, having covered the Big Ten Network since their launch. And I always enjoy spending time with Michael Moynihan, now in his 10th year as the top man for Northwestern, who will take on the Tar Heels tonight in Chapel Hill at Dorrance Field. Michael Moynihan, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Thanks for having me, Dean. Happy to be here. Well, let's start with right now, today and tonight, Dorrance Field. It's an incredible facility. It's named after a legendary coach. It's a big challenge for your team. You've got a young team as well. Talk about why you wanted to make this game happen, coach. Yeah, well, I mean, the opportunity to play North Carolina in this venue now, very exciting for our team and for our program. We kind of stumbled into it a little bit by accident, if I have to be honest. We had some cancellations due to COVID budgetary issues for a couple of teams that we had scheduled, and there was a couple of gaps to be filled. North Carolina and Duke are doing a, a tournament this weekend, and, and they were having some issues as well. So it was kind of, um, I guess, a fortunate situation that our dates lined up. The opportunity presented itself to you know, to head out there and, and get a fantastic game in and a fantastic venue. Talk about the mentality as you approach today, because I'm sure your young players are aware of North Carolina's success, all the national championships, the fact that they play almost 25 players, which is a little bit unprecedented. Really, no other team does it the way they do it. How do you talk to your players about preparing to take on that kind of pressure, Michael? 
we probably talk about it less than uh, maybe some others. It's, I don't know. We just want it to be like any other game. Uh, we know it's going to be a high-level opponent. We know North Carolina brings a ton of energy. We try to do the same. We might not sub at quite the same magnitude that they do. But, you know, our players haven't seen North Carolina in a long, long time. None of these players currently have played against them. You know, they've only seen them little bits here and there on TV, late runs in the NCAA tournament, that sort of thing. Some of them are familiar with some of the players and some of their friends. So they'll at least be familiar with that. But, you know, right now our players, they're just, they're hungry to play some games. I don't know that they're overly concerned with who the opponent is at this point. So just excited to be there and have the opportunity, I guess. Well, and you're coming off a big win where you scored four goals against William and Mary. So that's got to make you feel good about the progress, at least as you start this young season. Yeah. You know, we came into the season a little bit low in our goal production from the spring. It was actually an improvement over the year before, but still not really where we want to get to in terms of I don't know, percentage of finishing chances and things like that. And we felt that we led, we, we, not only did we give up a few silly ones in our first couple of games, but we missed plenty of opportunities as well. And so it's something we know we need to be more efficient with and to, to put in four against William and Mary, who'd, you know, they'd had a couple of close games against some quality opponents felt good. So definitely gives us a little bit of confidence. There's still plenty of room to grow, though. Ten years now at Northwestern, including four straight years of the NCAA tournament from 2015 to 18, including the Sweet 16 in 2016. Ten years is a big number. That shows that you must be very happy in Evanston. What do you enjoy most about being at Northwestern, Michael? Love the people. You know, that's uh, the foundation of everything. And from the moment I set foot on campus for my interview, you know, I, I noticed that there was people, one that had, Tremendous drive, not just to win for the sake of winning, but pursuing excellence. It's a theme that comes up over and over here at Northwestern, just the opportunity to pursue excellence in whatever you do. It's really pronounced, you know, and it's it's presented as an opportunity, not an obligation. And it's just something that was really appealing to me. And the people that I've met just have insatiable curiosity. Uh, they they want to learn. They want to get better at things. And I think it's also, it's it's very much... You know, a lot of people here describe it as kind of a, a blue collar mentality in a white collar institution where people want to get after it. They want to work hard and just try to get better and, and improve and learn. And I'm all about that. So so I've loved it and I love the support we've gotten. Of course, Michael Moynihan also spent 19 years at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, where the Moynihan name is all over it between his mom and his, his sister. Remind everybody how special that place was to get you ready for this next step to Northwestern. Uh, Milwaukee will always be a special place for me. And, you know, I was born and raised there. My mother coaching there, you know, for those unfamiliar, she was diagnosed with cancer in her first season there and passed away the following year. So kind of an unusual situation where she passed on the, the position to my sister. She followed in her footsteps. My sister brought me on board. And then eventually I took over as the head coach after my sister had been there. So Pretty unusual. I don't know that there's ever been a, a succession of three family members at any college institution like that. And it, it just afforded me an unbelievable opportunity. I, I was very young when I started there. You know, the reason I got involved was because of my mother and trying to support her and help her and my sister then. I had a lot to learn. So I was very grateful for that opportunity and had some unbelievable experiences, you know, learned a tremendous amount. And I think we built quite a legacy there, you know, at that program, which then afforded me an opportunity here at Northwestern. 
You've talked a lot about continuing to try to make Northwestern sort of the Stanford of the Midwest. You're still producing incredibly talented people that go on to be doctors and lawyers. And But you also, I mean, that one class had three professionals come out of it. And you've got more and more players from Northwestern becoming professionals. That's got to make you pretty happy as well. Yeah, we're really excited about that. You know, the, the, the thing we tell everybody here, we want players that want to pursue the best in whatever they do. Athletics is part of it. Academics is part of it here. You don't have to compromise one for the other. You can get the, the highest level education. We're top 10 in the country academically, and we also participate in a power five conference. So there's only three schools, I believe, in the country that can provide that opportunity. And we're one of them. So we're pretty blessed with that. And we want people that want both. And, you know, like you mentioned, there's there's three that uh, from one class that that are drafted and all are still playing professionally. We had another two from that class go overseas and play professionally. We have more kids coming in that want to go on and play professionally, whether it's here or abroad. So I think it's an unbelievable opportunity to be really prepared for whatever comes next and also have the opportunity to continue playing. Another storyline as people follow you, Michael Moynihan, is forever at Milwaukee and at Northwestern. David Nikolic, your associate head coach, he finally took on a head coaching job at UIC. Talk about his departure. And I feel like your newest member of the coaching staff might be tied to your sister as well. I'm not totally sure. I feel like there's a connection to the family there, right? There is. There is. So David was close to family after all these years as well, you know, 27 to 28 years of working together. He came on in my second year at Milwaukee after, you know, I started helping my sister and the following year he came aboard and started helping. So we go way, way back, tremendous advantages to, to that and having that, you know, that type of a relationship. I'm very happy for him, you know, to, to be able to get a head coaching opportunity, I think is fantastic. He's, he's certainly worthy and, and he's been waiting for a while for the right situation to come up. Just really excited for him to have an opportunity you know, you never want to look back and say, what if, or, you know, if, if I could have. So we're thrilled for him. The timing worked just perfectly for us in regard to Rich being um, available as David was departing. So Rich is my brother-in-law and uh, he met my sister while she was coaching at Purdue University. They've been together for uh, 10 years or so now. So it just kind of worked out and my sisters wanted to get back closer to the family. So we're all back together again. And I don't know. Life is good in Evanston. To me, that means good things happen to good people, right? It's good for David Nicolich, but it's also good for you and your sister and Richard Manning to, to join your staff. Tell me about the other member of your staff. Morgan Rule. So Morgan came to us. She, she was a player at LSU, and then she went on. She was coaching at Loyola in uh, Baltimore. She's done unbelievable. She works with our goalkeepers primarily, but she's she's now involved in all aspects of our of our team. And when you look at role models for young women, you know, in the collegiate game, she's she's an unbelievable role model for them and uh, a great addition to our staff. Back to Rich again to get somebody who's, you know, he was a head coach at Utah for 19 years. He worked at Santa Clara where they won a national championship while he was there, and he was you know a key piece in the recruiting process. Several you know, college cups to have somebody with that level of experience available. Um, you know, we're, we're pretty fortunate here, I'd say. We're here with Michael Moynihan. Just two more questions as tonight he'll take on the North Carolina Tar Heels. The game's at seven o'clock. I'll have the call with Megan O'Keefe on ACC Network Extra, the Northwestern Wildcats, the North Carolina Tar Heels. Northwestern can upset North Carolina and perhaps, dare I say, shock the nation if they do what two things tonight, Michael? 
well, we got to slow them down, <laughs> which is never easy. They're a very athletic team and, and they play with tremendous energy. So we've seen them take apart a couple of teams, Washington, who's a quality team, Illinois, you know, who we're very familiar with being a member of the Big Ten. But then you also saw them against uh, Ohio State and Ohio State, you know, caused some problems for them, generated some really good chances to score. I thought that was a fantastic showing for the Big Ten for them in that game and really made a good game of it. So we're hopeful we can do the same. We, we definitely have to slow them down, keep the field a little bit more compact. And then uh, in transition, we got to do something with it. You know, we've been a team that I think in the last year and a half have started to create more chances. I think we're showing a little bit more composure in the attacking part of the field, but it's not enough to be composed. We got to we got to get the goal. And uh, if we want to create an upset. No easy task, especially with their goalkeeper. I think she's she's been fantastic, and we'll see if we're up to the challenge. Yeah, Claudia Dickey perhaps saved the game against Ohio State. Final question, and I know you know the value of the association. You may not realize this, but when you were at Milwaukee, that was back when they used to have the NSCAA College Game of the Week, and you, you and your school paid for us to come in there and do the game. We brought in the truck. The crowd was ridiculous. It was amazing, jam-packed. You had such great talent. I think Hagen was starring at the time. I can't totally remember, but she was she was big time. So clearly the association has meant something to you over the years. Michael, can you put that into the words? Anybody that wants to continue to grow and develop, it's uh, it's a fantastic platform for that. I've, I've been at the convention many, many years in a row, and there's always things to learn, people to see, you know, rubbing elbows with other people that share the same passion. It's, it's a fantastic thing. I love a lot of the coaching materials that they're putting out, a lot of really good ideas. You know, I've been in the game since, since I was a little kid. I've been coaching now for close to 30 years at the collegiate level, and there's always things to learn. And, and things to see maybe a little bit differently. And I think it's a, it's a wonderful platform to just keep growing and keep developing as a coach. Well, we're certainly pleased that you chose to be on this platform today as part of the United Soccer Coaches podcast, because later tonight you'll take on the North Carolina Tar Heels against 7 o'clock on ACC Network Extra. Michael Moynihan, now in his 10th year as the head coach of the Northwestern Wildcats, thank you so much for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thanks for having me, Dean. Thank you, Michael Moynihan. I also want to thank Haley Carter, as well as Jeff Fennell and Corey Childs and Dr. Jay Martin, a big-time show with big-time people. I also want to thank Sean Chevrolet, Bailey Conklin, Jonas Worth, Erica Dyer, and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches and our producer, Colin Thrash. For each and every one of them and all of you, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.